Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Orange Theory Fitness. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. It was just a few years ago that some enterprising folks noted that we grow a lot of sugarcane in Louisiana, and sugarcane is the main ingredient in rum, and there was no rum made in Louisiana. That soon changed. Today, there's a whole industry of different brands of Louisiana rum. We also grow a huge amount of rice in Louisiana. It's our state's number one agricultural export, and we're one of the top three producers in the country. However, apart from a packaged jambalaya mix, the imaginative logic that applied to sugarcane has not been brought to bear on rice, except for one enterprising business person here in New Orleans. Artemis Antipas makes rice pudding because it's based on a generations-old family recipe brought to New Orleans by Artemis's great-great-grandmother. Artemis's rice pudding is called Greek Girls. Greek Girls rice pudding is available in around 40 locations, including Whole Foods and Rouse's. Artemis, welcome out to lunch. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, along with rice, another one of life's staples is bread. Although we're the home of the po' boy and muffaletta, we... And we eat a lot of bread down here. Louisiana does not grow that much wheat. When Grayson Gill opened Belgard Bakery in 2012, he discovered the lack of wheat meant he wasn't able to get the variety of flour he needed to make specialty breads. So he started up his own stone ground flour mill. Today, Belgard Bakery has the only stone flour mill between Asheville and Arizona and you can taste the difference in the bread. Even if you haven't bought a loaf in the store, if you eat out in New Orleans, you've probably eaten Grayson Gill's bread. Belgard Bakery provides bread and flour to over 100 restaurants in New Orleans, the North Shore, and Baton Rouge. Grayson, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Artemis, I'm gonna start with you. Uh, rice pudding is an everyday dessert in other countries from Greece to Australia. But here in the United States, it's not something we're familiar with, even in rice-producing states like Louisiana and Texas. So on the one hand, that's a huge advantage for you, being first to market. You have the entire rice pudding market virtually to yourself. (laughs) On the other hand, it's not easy to get people to buy something they've never heard of. It's even more difficult to get stores to stock a product for which there's no demand. And yet, in the two years since you've launched Greek Girls, You've made some serious inroads, including getting on the shelves of Whole Food. How are you doing this? You're following a specific business plan? Um, No, I wish I was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, when I first had the idea of sharing my family's rice pudding with New Orleans, um, I made really small batches and I took them around. Because, like you said, rice pudding is not a thing down here. It's not really a thing in the U.S. Um, But I thought, you know, why not start you know, with the biggest challenge, which is getting New Orleanians to at least try the rice pudding. Um, we have every other dessert other than rice pudding. Um, so I made small little batches and I brought them around to different chefs and caterers and culinary masters in the city because, you know, I knew that they would give very honest feedback. And they, the response was just overwhelming. And I was like, okay, like, there's something here. 
let me let me try and you know bring it to the masses and I started really small I started at Stein's Deli thanks Dan um, for believing in us um, and yeah the rest is kind of history I'm still kind of shocked that New Orleanians have become so addicted to this product it's it makes me feel really good I think if I can prove the product here and be successful down in New Orleans that I can kind of do it anywhere it may even be a, an easier sell in some other cities do you think oh absolutely I mean rice pudding does exist in the Midwest it's kind of a way of life around there um, the Northeast, it's very big in the New York, New Jersey area, and even in the West Coast, um, North and South Car- um, California, it's it's picking up there. So it's kind of everywhere but New Orleans. <laughs> now, Grayson, baking bread is a science. It's also an art. And for whatever reason, it's typically done while most of us are asleep. So the bread baker has always had an air of the maverick outsider. You're changing that perception. Although you make fresh bread six days a week and everything is done by hand, from grinding the flour to packaging the finished loaves, you're not getting to the bakery at 2 a.m. and working a graveyard shift. Have you set things up in a way intentionally so you can have a regular life? Or do you have some specific method of baking bread that dictates your hours? We've definitely changed our schedule over the past six years that we've been open. And yeah, initially I was doing graveyards and things were pretty crazy. And I know that we've had a lot of conversations in New Orleans recently about the quality of living for people that work in the service industry. And that's always been something that's been close to my heart because as I grew up and and worked in bakeries, there were some pretty terrible situations about doing graveyards and just kind of pretty brutal conditions, almost like a Jacob Reese photo where you see <laughs> suit and filth and dust and just 14-hour days everywhere. A nice, nice image. This yeah, <laughs> but it's important, I think, and I know it's been getting a lot of traction the past year, but connecting the dots between the quality of life for people that make New Orleans what it is, which is something that orbits around food in the community, which is defined by what we eat and how we eat. And if those people aren't taken care of in the sense of having a living wage and a decent schedule, then in my opinion, I think the bottom falls out of almost the whole social structure. So for us, the way that we plan our production is very, you know, logistical and we work with Microsoft Excel. We recently digitized on QuickBooks Pro. So we've eliminated just reams of paper the past six months because we've moved to digital platforms for sales and also for invoicing and everything else. So as far as production in the bakery, we just have everything down to a T where we are able to produce things on a consistent rolling basis. And we sometimes have eight different routes throughout the course of one day just to ensure the bread is being delivered to people in the area and in the time they need it, as opposed to having a bread truck out in the middle of the night at 4 a.m., dropping off bread so the rats can get it to before oh you know before before the boss and the chef gets to the restaurant which is absurd because the chef thinks that a loaf of bread comes ready at 6 a.m but they don't think about the baker so we're always thinking about the bread or about the product but what about the people that make the product but you were here baking bread on a small scale and then went back to california for baking school how did all this work yeah I, I came to new orleans uh I guess nine, nine, ten years ago, I came on a Greyhound bus from, from New York, from Port Authority. I was like 36 hours. I still have the ticket. It's like an $18 ticket. And uh, that, much, that much more in stress. Uh, cheap on the ticket and good on the fare, but bad for, bad for your mind. Um, anyway, I came down here. My best friend's mom is from Chalmette, and he and I were living together. And I moved down here to, to be with him. And at that age and that point in my life where not too much was going on, so... I was doing the farmer's markets for about two years here and kind of found that there wasn't anyone I could learn from in terms of a mentorship. So I wanted to go to vocational school to learn how to bake. And the only option was California. And yet you wanted to come back here. 
eventually. I always wanted to come back here. Yeah, absolutely. So I did about two years in California at vocational school and working at some places. And then I came back to Open Bell Guard with the SBA loan in October of 2012. Wow. Yeah. Now, Artemis, how do you get the speed bump you've got here to get people to try the product and realize they love it? How do you do that? I mean, uh, you know, I remember I read a great story about the banana industry where people didn't really eat bananas in the United States, so the banana people sent them to Gerber so that babies would get a taste mm-hmm. for it. It's like, are you working on something special like that? Or? Um, I, I should be. Um, you know, it, it's it's really interesting, the conversations I have with people when I'm doing demos in the store. Um, some people are more than willing to try a free food. Um, and some people need a little more encouragement when they say, oh, is there rice in the rice pudding? And I say, yeah. Um, but, you know, I always just tell them, like, just, just try it. Just try it. I promise you'll, you'll love it. Um, and they always do. I've never had... A, next to the end cap with a little table and all that? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you're your only employee, so it's, it's definitely yeah. you, right? Yeah. So I don't get to do that as, as often as I'd like, but in the near future, I'll be hiring for that. Absolutely. Um, but it's, it's become this really significant part of, of the, the, the success of Greek girls is having those conversations with people in store because I found too, it's not, I have this really very, very, very deep nostalgic connection to this product. It's something that I grew up eating my whole life. It's, it's, it's very, very big in the Greek community. Um, and sometimes people come up to my table like, is this rice pudding? I say, yeah, this is a Greek rice pudding. My family's been making it for, you know, over 200 years this way. And they kind of, people start tearing up. And it's like this really incredible. People from, with Greek origins? No, people just, just from everywhere. And they have, you know, it's, it's become this thing where I'm sort of reconnecting people to this childhood memory. Because they're saying, oh, God, I haven't had rice pudding. You know, my grandmother used to make it. And, um, and they're just really excited, and that's become a really um, wonderful thing for me with this product. What about the, the, the business side of it? Now, I know you came from uh, Propeller, right? There, mm-hmm. which uh, I guess food is one of their, their groups they work yes. with. Uh, um, what did that bring to the table for you? Um, Propeller was great. I think um, they're so willing to support you in whatever way that you need it. And I need I needed support in, in every way, <laughs> in every category. Um, and they're, they're just more than willing to reach out to people on your behalf, to connect you with people. Um, it's led to a lot of really good partnerships. Um, and just being affiliated with Propeller, I think, is, is so impressive um, and having their support. And I still email them and talk to them and reach out to them if I need anything. And they're always, always willing to help. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Artemis Antipas from Greek Girls Rice Pudding and Grayson Gill from Belgard Bakery. Grayson, oh, I've, I don't bake, but people have told me that it's difficult to bake in like a subtropical climate or below sea level. It, uh-huh. is, it, is it a difficulty? Uh, I think it takes a little bit more discipline than otherwise. I know if the higher the elevation, like if you're in Denver, it's going to change things. But yeah, as you said earlier, you know, baking is about a science and it's not about throwing stuff together kind of on an easel and seeing which colors are pretty. Because I always tell staff and anybody else too that when you're baking and when, especially when you're learning to bake, it's all about maintaining a variable that's constant because if you went to the doctor and you told the doctor that you're depressed and that you got a headache and that you're dehydrated and your knee hurts he's going to be like what's the issue and it's like well i haven't been playing basketball yeah it's like (laughs) and that really makes me happy and it's the same with baking if you're just doing something every day that's brand new and there's not a consistency to it then you're never going to learn how to do it well and how to do it on a you know repeatable consistent basis for yourself or for your customers so that's what I think it takes here in New Orleans is having discipline so at our bakery we send out a log every day if you're not working today but you're coming in tomorrow after having been off for a week you know 
how many loaves we have and what else is going on, or maybe there were some atmospheric conditions that you need to pay attention to. So communication and transparency about the process is imperative and cross-training people too so you know what the person that is mixing that is having to deal with some adverse conditions you can commiserate with the person that's working the oven or you can be you know more compassionate but it's imperative to have that transparency and that cross-training so that you can ensure that baking when it's 105 degrees out in new orleans is not as brutal as it may sound as far as like flavor or anything else it doesn't impart anything different or better and we do grow some wheat in louisiana but is it not the right wheat uh, that's that's a huge story for me because I'm, I'm I'm definitely into the policy and the politics of it all. But Louisiana has like a $66 million a year wheat economy, and we have like a $4 billion a year corn economy, and 99% of both of those crops are for animals or for ethanol, oh, oh. which I think is pretty sinful in the sense that that should be going towards human consumption. So we do grow wheat, and actually when the French came to New Orleans in 1718, they sent someone to Bayou St. John to plant some wheat, and they found out nine months later that that was not going to be a viable uh, colony for, for wheat production. So the French knew that the humidity immediately in South Louisiana was never going to be something where they could, not was never going to be a place where you could grow wheat on a viable scale. So basically what they happened is the upper Mississippi River became wheat cultivation areas like Missouri and that whole area, and then the Mississippi River became that boulevard of transportation and New Orleans became the marketplace for these grains and these wheats. But as far as growing in Louisiana, I think that if we did some more work at LSU, we could definitely have a more viable local agricultural economy. But that's a decision that they haven't made to uh, haven't decided to pursue over there. And speaking of ingredients, Artemis, the funny thing about rice pudding is that it's, you know, has when you when you're in the store there, it's kind of marketed as a, a foreign kind of product. But yet, all the ingredients are very Louisiana, right? Yeah. Well, that was definitely, um, you know, important to me as I started out um, Greek Girls Rice Pudding that I wanted the product to really reflect me um, um, as a Greek New Orleanian. Um, so it's it's a product very true to my family, very true to the country of Greece and the culinary ways. And, and I wanted to experiment with Louisiana ingredients. And when my grandmother and, and her relatives moved over, emigrated to New Orleans and to the States, they started using the Louisiana ingredients, the Louisiana rice, the Louisiana sugar. Um, and so that was, it's a really important part of, of the story of the product and, and the history behind it is to, it is truly the merging of, of my family and our two cultures. Artemis and Grace, and this is the part of the show we call The Checklist. We have a list of 43 random questions that I have in front of me. I'm going to ask you to pick a number from 1 to 43 and do your best to come up with an answer. Um, Grayson, I'll start with you. What magic number do you want to try? Number 20. All right, 20. If you could change one thing about New Orleans, what would it be? I think the biggest thing is for someone that owns a small business here in New Orleans, we have a staff of about 16 right now. It's... um, it's really tough seeing things, and I think it's imperative that we have something like the airport expansion, but you know, $900 million to spend on people visiting New Orleans, I think that money should be better spent for the people that live here first. And I think ensuring that we have a viable infrastructure for ourselves to live, whether that's the boil water advisories that we have all the time, or whether it's potholes or mail service or whatever it may be, I think that these basic day-to-day activities and quality of life standards need to be raised for the people that live here before we invite other people to come here because I think the cultural economy is going to be eroded if we don't focus on the people that live here full time. 
So it's imperative to have people and to be as hospitable as we are as New Orleanians and as Louisianans. But at the same time, if we're neglecting the basic infrastructure for those of us that live here every day of the year versus people that come here for one week for Jazz Fest, I think that there's going to become a growing imbalance between how tenable it is long term for those of us to live here and most importantly to operate a business. Thank you. And I'll, uh, you know, you're more than a bread baker. Uh, <laughs> you thought some things out here. This we, I mean, I guess it's, we, we had to get a P.O. box at the bakery because we weren't getting postal service for five to six weeks. And I called Walt Leger because I have, we have this a isn't mutual after friend. This is Katrina. This is like now. This was a year ago. Okay. So we have $55,000 in receivables that are just floating around. And the, and the post office is basically shrugging its shoulders. And Walt, Walt couldn't do anything because even though he's a state senator, I mean, that's a federal thing. But these basic things are in the food business, the, um, the boil water advisories. I mean, this is just... It's absurd, and you don't get reimbursed. Or recently, when we had the hurricane, and Latoya said everybody can go back to work, but they called everything being so terrible that Tuesday morning. And it's like, well, I I can't pivot that way. I have employees, and we have a bunch of stuff that we have to make a call on, but none of that's reimbursable. Artemis, what number do you want to try? Uh, let's go lucky number thirteen. Lucky number thirteen. Okay. What was the biggest hurdle you faced when you were starting up your business? <laughs> Oh, there were so many. Um, I would say, I think, you know, when you're starting out a business or any any venture or exploring anything, I didn't realize how much people love to give advice. (laughs) (laughs) And I kind of quickly learned how small businesses can fail so quickly because I think there's so much bad advice out there. And I I think one of the biggest challenges was sort of, you know, you want to talk to everyone. You want to explore everything. Sit down with everyone. Tell them your, you know, your goals. And sure, and and listen to what they're saying. But really, you don't have to act on everything that people suggest to you. And I think that was, I, you know, made some, some missteps in the beginning because at first I was very naive in this industry. I don't know anything about small business or the food industry. And um, so I was a little naive going into it and sort of, you know, oh yeah, 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 jumped on a couple of things and then quickly learned, thankfully, that it wasn't the right move for me personally and for my business. And so I think I always, I always tell small businesses as they're starting, whenever anyone reaches out for any advice, I think that's like the best thing I can tell them is reach out to everyone, sit down with everyone, talk to everyone, but also trust your instinct. I think that's, that's why I've gotten, you know, so far with Greek girls is that I really trusted myself and my instinct and didn't necessarily listen to everything that everyone I bet you got really uh, forced on me. support from uh, family, though. I mean, it's actually kind of a family endeavor. In that oh, it's, it's yeah, it's it's a, absolutely. This is a family business, although I'm, I am the only employee. Um, your well, sister, it's Greek girls is plural, yes. so she's... <laughs> Athena, um, we decided to start this business together, and about 10 days after we had committed to it, she got a really wonderful job opportunity in Hong Kong. So, being the lovely, supportive sister I am, I encourage her to take it, and um, and maybe it's for the best. I think we work well when she's halfway around the world. So she's still, she's still very much a part of the business. Um, she checks in on everything, and I seek her advice on things. But um, yeah, it's it's a one woman show for the most part. <laughs> now, Grayson, I didn't ask you on your side. Uh, uh, Artemis was a propeller and such. Where did you? You obviously have a huge passion for the product and and the social uh, implications, but the business side, where did you get it? Uh, really just trial and error and I think that Artemis brought up a good point too in terms of advice especially in New Orleans and if you have the habit of ever going to bars or coffee shops and <laughs> in the French Quarter or pretty much anywhere else in the city you'll you'll find a doctor that's unlicensed that wants to tell you 
anything that you're willing to listen to. Um, and I've my rubric is now listening to people that I respect. Because so many people get bogged down, I think, spiritually and also in business by doing things that we don't want to be doing. So why should we be doing things that we don't want to be doing? And when it comes to food, and the same story that you were telling earlier about sampling and having people coming to tears over the food, that even if they're not Greek, food is the strongest memory and strongest emotion that people, no matter what culture or language speak, it's something that we can all agree about, flavor. It's the most unifying characteristic that anybody has. And it's really important when you're making and serving and sharing food that you make what you want to make. Otherwise, it just takes too much out of you, and you got to be able to share that karma of what you're making with sincerity. Rice and bread have been uh, dietary staples almost as far back as we've been recording human history. But Grayson, you're attempting to keep baking bread in the traditional way that's been passed down over generations. And Artemis, you're attempting to take a generations-old way of eating rice and present it in a new way to Americans. You're both doing what you love with products you believe in. Congratulations on your successes to date. We look forward to keeping up with you as things get even bigger and better. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you Thank so you, much. Peter. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Artemis Anipis. She's the founder and CEO of Greek Girls Rice Pudding and Grayson Gill, the owner of Belgard Bakery. You can find out more about Artemis's rice pudding and Grayson's bread by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and its New Orleans Facebook page. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace. For more business, New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie, the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. And by Orange Theory Fitness.